Welcome to the Insider World Building Podcast, the place to experience life in another dimension, told from the perspective of a visitor to that dimension. I'm Fox Keys. That visitor is me. That dimension is called Dunaree, and I've lived here since I was tricked into passing through an interdimensional gateway just after my 14th birthday. In this episode, Dead Cat number 7 tries to teach me the importance of clothes, and I discover why the walking staff is in room 0. From a world-building perspective, I will analyse how clothes may be used in unique ways to add depth to your world, and I will finish with another strange but true segment. I slept better during my second night in Dunaree. It took a while to nod off, though. I kept thinking about how the walking staff had apparently talked to me twice and was now staring at me through the darkness. I thought about covering its face, but the only suitable cover I could think of was a sock. This was not a good plan. I hadn't changed my socks in four days. If anything was likely to get that thing chattering, it would be a stinky sock pulled over its face. Exhaustion finally claimed me. When I awoke, number seven was lying at the foot of the bed. Its grey eyes focused on me. This shocked and annoyed me. The cheek of this thing inviting herself into my room and onto my bed. At least when mum woke me for school with her cup of water, she knocked on my door first. And there was something odd about the way the cat stared at me that bothered me. Her head was at an odd, impossible angle compared to her body. Actually, I noticed, the cat's head wasn't attached to her body at all. Resting against the bed's footboard, the head was a good six inches from her shoulders. I bolted upright so abruptly the bed shook and the cat's head rolled sideways. Paws grabbed for it. Moments later, the head was secure on number seven's shoulders. As if challenging me to doubt what I'd seen, the cat flashed a smile, exposing her teeth in a very mocking kind of way. At least I knew how this one had died. She looked similarly kittenish as number five, except she wore a leather waistcoat, which looked surprisingly normal on her. The waistcoat's top button glimmered gold in the light. I figured a loose head thing was a deliberate attempt to shock me, I decided I wasn't going to fall for it. I said, you could have knocked. Why, the cat replied. Straight away I detected a harsh tone in her voice. A tone so different from number five, they could have been different creatures. And where was number six? The cat pointed towards the table, where a pile of black bread sat on a plate. Butter was spread on the bread. An apple sat there too. You survived the dry black bread, number seven hissed. Let's see if the butter makes you sick. My appetite vanished. Obviously, number seven had been in a foul mood when she died. I checked my watch. 6.57. It occurred to me that I could teach this cat a lesson. And test the bed too. She looked nice and comfy. 
If I got out of the bed at the last moment, and she stayed there, would the bed react to her? At 6.59 I swung myself out of bed, sat on the couch and waited. Nothing happened. The minutes ticked past. Still nothing. Number seven cackled. Are you waiting for something? No, I replied. I'm already dead, number seven said. Simple magic only reacts to living things. Instead of wasting my time teaching you, I'd rather snooze here all day. Unfortunately, the dead don't need sleep, so I'll have to entertain myself with you. It was then that I noticed a neat pile of clothes sitting on a chair. These clothes have been Levun treated to afford you some protection from the fortress. The cat sat up and jabbed my shoulder. Never leave this room without them. I gave the cat a sharp look. Did it think I would go wandering around the place with no clothes? My number five had been cheeky. Number seven was cheeky and mean. Like it had a real gripe with the world. Then again, she had lost her head. So I suppose she did have some good reason. And until you're 18, number seven continued, you need to wear clothes relevant to your city zone. Each zone has different colours. Once you reach maturity, you can wear what you like. To me, it sounded like my new clothes were a uniform, and uniforms weren't my style. I considered saying I was already 18. After all, I'd arrived in the Dunaree with no ID, so nobody could disprove my claim. Then I remembered I'd told Ganhut my age, and I abandoned that idea. Pointing at the clothes, I said, It's a uniform. Simple identification, the cat replied. The city is divided into sectors, in case of a spirit storm attack. It all has to do with evacuation and storm shelter access. They can't have the young people just wandering about wherever they want. It sounded discriminatory to me, but I wasn't going to argue about it. At least until I knew more. One thing was certain. Wearing these clothes wasn't going to make my escape any easier. While the grey pants looked normal enough... The blue shirt had a yellow stripe along one arm. The sector ID, I presumed. It looked like a cross between a prison uniform and a really cool sports outfit. I couldn't decide which, though. And at least new underwear and socks were included. I changed into the new clothes, but nothing felt right. The pants were so loose I had to hold them up, and that wasn't easy when the top fell down to my knees. The cat thought this was funny. She drifted around me, giggling, tugging and twisting the fabric until, insanely, everything fitted. She held one of my old socks at arm's length. Her nose wrinkled. Disgusting, she said. Take them outside. It's disrespectful to expect me to educate you in this environment. That annoyed me so much I almost tossed the other sock straight in her face. You will clean your own clothes while you are here, number seven said. Where, I wondered, 
The fortress didn't look like the kind of place that had a washing machine handy. Besides, I wasn't sure how to use a washing machine anyway. And washing clothes was the least of my worries. What happens to those who wander into another zone? I asked. That depends on who catches you, the cat replied, flicking my sock towards the door. I waited to hear more, but the cat just stared at me. Finally, I said, Who could catch you? City guards will fine you or toss you into a punishment bulb, the cat said. Then there are the mage mods. They will remove Lavon privileges and may even restrict future Lavon training. Mage mods sounded like the ones I really needed to avoid. I had already decided that Lavon was a kind of magic, and if I was going to escape back home, I needed all the magic I could learn. What? Number seven's lips curled back in the most gruesome way. If fellow juveniles catch you, they may beat you. My heart sank. I had imagined fellow juvenile would have been the most sympathetic. When I questioned number seven about this, she told me that moderate violence between zones was encouraged in order to toughen up the young. It's better to freeze in a punishment bulb than greet the mob, she said. That's an old saying, and you'd best remember it. Although this sounded terrible, what really bothered me was how much the cat enjoyed intimidating me. Just recently, number seven continued, a girl got caught by a gang in the very next sector to here. She was the daughter of a guard. Didn't stop her getting her head shaved or being tied to a disgrace pole. They were just about to pelt her with, Enough of your chatter, cat, a whistly voice cried. The cat's head whipped around. I followed her gaze towards the talking staff. Enough of this scared trickery, the staff continued. Who are you to interfere? Number seven snarled and lunged so violently towards the walking staff, her head came loose. Briefly, it hung mid-air until she retrieved it. Keep calm, the walking staff cried. Don't lose your head. I burst out laughing. The calf rounded on me and hissed. You can die in the streets for all I care. Stay away from me. Turning back to the staff, she said, I'm going to find Ganhook and tell him you're interfering. I'm not interfering, the staff said. I'm protecting the child from your bitter exaggerations. I feel it's my duty. Before I could stop myself, I cried, I'm not a child. Number seven stormed towards the door. In her haste, she snagged the loose sock she had tossed there earlier on one of her clothes. I had to bite my lip to quell another laugh as she tried to shake it loose. Once she was gone, I crept up to the staff. Thanks, I said. Even if I knew this staff was alive, I felt really, really dumb for speaking to it. Then again, maybe it wasn't alive. Maybe Ganhook had a microphone and speaker built into it instead. When Ganhook brought her to the compound first, the staff said, when she was a kitten, it wasn't long before she started getting ideas about herself. Just because that cat has unlimited lives, 
Doesn't mean she has unlimited intelligence. How can you talk? I asked. Ignoring me, the staff continued. Cat gangs roam this city. They're smart enough not to interfere with humans. The most notorious is the Six Stars. Stein Cat thought she could join them because she was special. Although I was annoyed at having my question ignored, I was more interested in how number seven had lost her head than how the staff could talk. She stole one of Ganthug's waistcoats, the staff continued. Then she stole a gold button from somewhere. She thought that was enough. That's the uniform this gang wears. They killed her, I asked. They have strict controls on who joins them. They chopped her head clean off. That old spirit arrived back here in a terrible, sorry state. I almost felt sorry for her. Suddenly, things weren't as funny anymore. This world sounded more dangerous by the minute. Sure, there were parts of Dublin where it wasn't wise to go, but I'd never heard of anyone getting attacked just for going there. I said, who are you? They call me Shiny Top, the staff said. But Caladan is my real name, I think. You think? I asked, wondering what that was supposed to mean. Ganhook wants me to be your guide, Shiny Top said. You were spying on me? I replied. For days now you've been spying on me? Be silent now. I'm not supposed to talk to you. Not yet. I'm only supposed to study you. I have said too much already. Ganhook won't be happy when number seven finds him. What are you? I asked. Your guide, Shiny Top, who was also named Caladan, replied. But I'm not your guide until Ganhook assigns me. Therefore, I am not permitted to give you information. And that was that from my new guide. The Shiny Top stick wouldn't answer a single question for the rest of the day. I gave up asking after a while. It was hopeless. With a guide like this, I was never going to get anywhere. And I was also questioning Ganhug's efforts to educate me. So far, it was a mix of fascinating, terrifying and chaotic. But even if Shiny Top didn't speak to me, just knowing he was there and watching my back made things an awful lot easier in Room Zero that night. Now I will give some context on my experience with Number 7. My second day in Dunaree was a mix of terrifying, fascinating and boring. I learned many things. Steincat's ghosts could be moody. Steincat and Shiny Top were not friends. Navigating the City of Bones could be complicated. And Dunaree butter was delicious. Mostly, though, I learned about clothes. As short and bitter as it was, Number Seven's visit made me think about how my new clothes and Dunaree would both protect me and hinder me, at least until I was 18. Obviously, I had to fit into this world. I'd arrived in Dunaree wearing jeans and an Iron Maiden t-shirt with a picture of Eddie the Head printed onto it. If I'd wandered through Dunaree wearing those, I'd have turned lots of heads. Or maybe lost my head too, like Number Seven. Clothes are a visual language. We automatically make assumptions about people because of how they dress. 
It's part of our threat detection process. That's why clothes and world building are vital. It's how we portray ourselves and how we are judged. It is also a way of defining and organising groups. Actually, I wouldn't know where to begin to explain all the different associations clothing has in Dunaree, or any society for that matter. So, I'll focus on one aspect for now, the blue shirt with the yellow stripe. It was a simple design, but it signified so many things. Social control, social conformity, consequences for non-conformity, and it signified rules. Instead of number seven rattling off endless rules about city zones, storms, shelters and violence, she just told me everything associated with the yellow stripe of my shirt. That was all I needed to hear. Every time I saw it, I was reminded of my current place in this city. And how it could affect my overall plan of escape. This is an example of how one item of clothing can introduce a conflict point into the world. But how do you start creating clothing for your world? It can be overwhelming to think about this all at once. Like everything else, start small. Take one item from your wardrobe and imagine how to modify it to give it some instantly recognisable importance in the world you are creating. Think about how to connect aspects of your world to this item of clothing. Imagine what status this item of clothing might give its wearer. And consider what restrictions or boundaries this item of clothing could put on its wearer. For inspiration, think about what you would need to wear if you were magically transported into your world. Or when you use your time machine to return your Middle Ages peasant back to the Middle Ages, and you wanted to have a wander about the local village, what would you wear to fit in? Jeans and an Iron Maiden t-shirt could get you burned at the stake. Or maybe your time machine goes wonky and dumps you out into Viking times. Those guys didn't like strangers. How could you quickly modify your clothes to fit in there? Number seven forced me to think about what clothing meant in Dunaree. And I hope my experience will help you about how clothes evolved in your world. And now for something strange but true. Nobody knows how many ghosts Steincat has. Or how she controls them. Or where within the fortress she keeps them. She does have a permanent connection to all of them though. And they are not always quiet. Though she works for Ganhook, Steincat side hustles as a detective. She's so successful, in fact, she only takes on the jobs that interest her. These jobs are also the most dangerous. Sometimes she dies in a job. And when this happens, we hear about it long before she returns to tell us. How, you might wonder, do we hear about this? From her ghosts? Every time she dies, they get upset. They slip out from wherever they're stored and silently wander the fortress in the most fascinating and terrifying way. I have woken a few times to find two or three dead cats drifting aimlessly through my room. Things get trickier, though, when she dies during the day. Especially if Ganhook has visitors. A ghost cat interrupting an important meeting is a problem. 
and it is a problem Ganthook hasn't yet found a solution for. Even more bizarre is the ghost behaviour when Steincat hits the town. She likes to party, and drink, and sing. Luckily for us, she rarely parties, but when she does, her ghost starts singing too. A dreadful wailing begins, a wailing that vaguely resembles bawdy tavern songs. It's intolerable. Worse still, nobody can trace where the wailing comes from. On these nights, I need earplugs to sleep. Strange indeed, but very, very true. That is it for this episode. If you got a laugh out of it, or some world-building inspiration, I'd really appreciate it if you could recommend this podcast to a friend. In the next episode, I learn more about Shiny Top, take a deeper look into Ganthug's fortress, and introduce the concept of using a guide to help you with your world-building. Until then, goodbye. Or, as we say in Dunaree, Breivik. <laughs>